turning the Big Apple green. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. Neil Young sings about searching for a heart of gold. I met our next guest, Stephen Ritz, at the Indoor Ag Tech Innovation Summit in Brooklyn a couple weeks ago, where he and Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, were the opening speakers for the event organized by Rethink. Mayor Adams spoke from the heart when he shared his personal journey as an overweight black man with high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes in danger of losing his fingers and toes from his poor health. The sharply dressed, slimmed down mayor addressed the audience about how a plant-based diet changed his life, put him on the road to health, no more medicine or diabetes, and he vowed to make New York City the hub for indoor urban agriculture and make freshly grown vegetables accessible to all New Yorkers. My guest this week is someone Neil Young has been searching for, Stephen Ritz, founder of Green Brock's Machine, a selfless man with a heart of gold, and the man that's turning the mayor's vision into reality. Stephen, I'm honored to have you on the show. Welcome to Green Sense. What an introduction. I can't <laughs> wait to meet this guy. Where is he? No, thank you, Robert. And um, you know, listen, I am honored. Hats off to you. Um, I don't know if your viewers or listeners can see me. I do have the perfect face for radio, but I am here today with my cheese hat on and my heart on both sleeves because you are preaching to the choir. You know, the mayor's well, mission is my mission and my mission is his mission. He's got a lot more work and a, and a bigger task than I do, but I'm delighted to focus on happy, healthy children and high performing schools through the art and science of growing vegetables all year long. So not only do you have that heart of gold, but as you mentioned, you wear a trademark styrofoam golden yellow cheese head hat. What's the meaning of that? So, you know, for many years, you know, part of my story exactly mimics the mayor. I don't know if you know this. I'm still waiting for the Knicks to call me back. <laughs> that may not happen. I just don't think they have enough sense about them. But, you know, I went from having a 45 inch vertical jump to a 54 inch waist simply by eating the food that was available in my community and swelled to over 300 pounds. And, you know, I got into the urban farming movement, kind of the green roof space, the urban ag, the environmental remediation space, basically working with overage, undercredited children who had been coming in and out of the criminal justice system and giving them meaningful purpose-based work with living wage opportunities was game changing. But I was the dean of students at the uh, poorest performing high school in all of New York City with a 17% graduation rate. To give you some context, we had 256 felonies per year in the building. And, you know, through the power of the plant, um, you know, the kids used to call me the big cheese because literally I was walking around the school drinking, you know, 44-ounce sodas, eating pizza all day. And swelled to 330 pounds, diabetic, cirrhotic liver, tons of medication. And as the dean of students, the kids called me, the big cheese. So I got into farming, long made short. You know, I wrote all about it in my book. We could talk about that later, but got into farming and started wearing a farm hat. But I really, really hated it, man. Abs it was sticky. It was hot. The kids laughed at it. Um, you know, you could see me coming. So it was a way to kind of disarm the room, so to speak, as the dean of students, usually in a lot of crisis situations. But I went to my first principals conference in Wisconsin. And literally, you know, got off the plane in Kenosha, Wisconsin, saw the cheese hat and said, you know, the kids have been calling me the big cheese for years. And uh, why not? So I swapped my farmer's hat for a cheese hat. And literally, you know, no one honestly and more heartfelt is 
more surprised by the success of the hat than I am. And, you know, I will share with you as I work with little kids and big kids, um, you know, uh, this hat has the power of turning a frown upside down. And, you know, I, I say it takes a tough man to wear a foam cheese hat in the middle of the South Bronx in public housing. But um, <laughs> it's a job I welcome and I do it and I do it all around the world. You know, recently I showed up at a conference in South America, had thousands of children lining up in the mountains simply to take a picture of me with the cheese hat. So there's something to it. And, uh, you know, I'll stick with it. It has served me well. Well, it's a great brand, and you did a fantastic job at your presentation at the conference. It was a syncopated, uh, I don't know, dialogue uh, to, uh, to, to pictures, and uh, you went on uh, talking about how you're changing cities through teaching kids to farm and eat fresh, healthy food. But before we get into the Green Bronx machine, uh, tell us about the Bronx. For those who have not been there, uh, tell us where it rates first and where it rates last compared to other cities. Well, you know, listen, first and foremost, I will never degrade my borough. I am a proud Bronxite. You know, I, will, I was born here. I will die here. And I have a fundamental belief that people should not have to leave their neighborhoods to live, learn and earn in a better one. So, you know, I have firmly planted my stake in the ground in the community I love. That said, the community I, I love has a lot of challenges and, it, and it's due to a whole lot of reasons. So to your point, you know, we are last, we are first in everything bad and last in everything good. And, and there's a lot of reasons. It has to do with intergenerational poverty. It has to do with access. It has to do with just so many social determinants of health. But the greatest lever this nation has and my community has for equity and opportunity is public education. So, you know, make no doubt about it. While I'm a cheese hat, veggie loving kind of guy, I am also absolutely driven towards high performing public schools. And remarkably, I learned that in communities where you have least the least access to healthy fresh food and the least access to gardens and fresh food, the simple virtuous act of growing food and planting seeds with children is one of the greatest levers that we have to grow high performing schools and happy, healthy children. Well, Stephen, I appreciate that. And uh, again, to put this in context, you're a school teacher in the Bronx. What does the makeup of your classroom look like uh, economically, racially? And what kind of challenges do these kids face? So, you know, we are in the poorest congressional district in America. Let me be clear about that. Um, and, and that's just an economic reality. That's that's not a judgment call. Um, you know, I am in perhaps the most geographically and economically isolated part of all of New York City. I'm speaking to you now live from my classroom in a 113-year-old building built in the middle of public housing. You know, this building was built when this was a single and, and two-family house neighborhood. We now have 45 buildings, 25 stories high with no infrastructure. Um, so you can only imagine when you put so many people with so many needs together surround them with no transport, surround them with a lack of economic opportunity, what happens? Um, you know, it is the recipe for disaster. It's the perfect storm for someone else's success. So whether it is design or default, you know, the deck is stacked long before, um, long before the cards are dealt. Um, so a lot of people have gotten very fat off of this system. And I believe we are the ones that we are waiting for. And, uh, you know, for me, it's not enough to ask for a seat at the table anymore. 
I'm going to build my own table, create my own kitchen, and grow something greater. And most importantly, attract young, talented teachers to a classroom that I built myself and is now being replicated all across the world. Well, you have the heart and the gumption of a farmer, and that, that's what America was built on. So tell us about the Green Bronx machine. How'd you come up with the idea to teach kids how to grow and cook their own fruits and vegetables? And what's your vision? Well, world domination yeah. is my vision. But, um, you know, look, I am an accidental success. And, and let me be clear about it. And I stand on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, I, I am blessed and privileged to, I think, become a, a face and a voice for an industry, an industry that has the ability to literally nourish the planet and save the world as we speak, that being urban ag. So, you know, for years, I taught every single subject. Uh, I started doing uh, middle school gang intervention work. I was the guy who handled the children that no one else wanted to talk to. And literally, you know, I myself have had some tragedy in my life. What you may not know is, you know, I've lost some children of my own. My wife and I lost a child after birth. We've buried children. Um, we've lost students in school, whether it's violence, disease, illness, things that in other communities would have never happened or certainly wouldn't have played out the way they had. And, you know, simply by accident, I found myself as, as the dean of students in the worst high school in all of New York City. It was insane. And literally, I was charged with teaching 21 young people who had a variety of baggage, whether it was substance abuse, criminal justice issues, probation, homelessness. You know, these were the toughest kids to reach. And they asked me to teach them, of all things, science. And, you know, I, I knew nothing of science. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, Robert. You know, we're friends. I don't even know the formula for photosynthesis, but that's between <laughs> you and me and most of the kids who now know it and can teach it to me. But, you know, I was charged with teaching these kids science and literally, uh, you know, oh, what the hell was I going to do? They gave me the worst kids in the school in an empty room in the basement with a radiator and one window and said, teach. And I was like, wow, thank you very much. Uh, what did I do to deserve this? And literally put out a call on the internet. It was 2004. Help to all my friends with my crusty, dusty AOL account. Help. I've been charged with teaching science. You know, I kept thinking of that crazy Thomas Dolby song, blinded me with science. Um, you know, send me a microscope, send me a computer. This was even before the laptop age. You know, send me something, a microscope, a telescope, anything. And literally, uh, you know, no one responded. And I started by really building community with these young people. And one day I'm sitting in the, in the classroom and, you know, we get an, uh, an announcement. Mr. Ritz, come to the principal's office, please. And um, the kids are like, yeah, he's finally fired. Um, you know, and I have this annoying habit. It's called I keep showing up. And, uh, you know, so like like plants, you know, if you bury me, I, I'm going to thrive. But I keep showing up and I've learned that showing up is powerful. So I go running down to the office and there's the principal's secretary with this big box on her desk. And I'm like, wow, thank you, Jesus. I'm sending an email to Al Gore. The internet works. Someone must have sent me something. And like a kid on Christmas morning, I rip open this big box on her desk. And I'm like, huh? OMG? I open this up. I'm like, WTF? What is this? It turns out there are these little bally things. They look like onions. And I'm like, this is someone's sick 
ass joke. Um, the kids will kill me with this. What do I need a box of onions for? And literally, I look at the principal secretary. She looks at me like, you know, uh, go see the nurse. You, you know, uh, you'll be fine, Mr. Ritz. And I take this box and I walk out and I throw it behind a radiator behind the window. These old six foot radio and literally forgot about it. Just, you know, like, oh, just keep this away from the kids, you know, carry on, carry on. Anyway, about six weeks later, it's, uh, you know, getting close to now Thanksgiving break and the kids are antsy. And I mean, I had some really tough kids and this one skinny little kid makes a joke about a girl's mother. The girl's about 220 pounds, two sleeves of tattoos, piercings on both eyebrows, both nostrils. And she gets up to go knock this kid out. The class is loving this. And I'm like, OMG, my career is over. Then this skinny little kid sticks his hand under the radiator. And I'm like, wow, now it's really over. There's a weapon. This is, this is not going to be a happy ending. And all of a sudden, he sticks his hand under the radiator and comes up with a handful of flowers. And the whole class breaks out. And we're like, where did these flowers come from? Well, it turns out that this box was actually filled with bulbs, flower bulbs, and the heat from the radiator and the leaky pipes and the sun forced these radiators. We had a box full of flowers. And I'm like, wow, this is a teachable moment. Uh, so we look inside the box, and inside the box is a letter addressed to me, yours truly, dear Mr. Ritz, inviting me and my students to come down and help plant these bulbs, um, you know, for to commemorate 9-11. In, in local parks, right before they freeze. I didn't know this thing about forcing bulbs in the winter again. Science is not my forte. Um, so it turns out that, you know, we decided this would be a pretty cool thing to do. You know, the, the school was like, get the kids, go plant. Do you want to plant in Brooklyn? You can go to Staten Island and plant them if you like. So we showed up. It turns out it was at a park where my wife and I used to date. I'm very close to my dad's first home in the Bronx. So a lot of personal significance. And the kids loved it. Long made short, that year, my gang kids and I planted 25,000 bulbs across New York City uh, to commemorate 9-11. If you drive up and down the Cross Bronx Expressway, those bulbs are my kids and mine. You know, they're still there 20 years later. And we got invited down to City Hall because they thought we were in the honors program. And I'm like, you know, you guys don't know who you're bringing. Um, you know, but I made sure all the kids had a suit and tie and they actually thought we were the honors program. And that gave birth to this notion that, you know, I could take these kids and do something amazing. And it was right around the time when Mayor Bloomberg was giving tax credits for green roofs. We had this whole New Yorkers for Parks movement where every New Yorker should be five minutes from a park. And it created opportunities for me. And, and again, at the turn of the millennium, you know, New York looked very different then than it looks now. There are still a lot of abandoned buildings, a lot of unclaimed space, a lot of abandoned space. And we really got into ornamental gardening, landscape, environmental remediation. My students and I uh, joined forces with Majora Carter to put in the first green roof in the Bronx on top of the American Banknote building. We got them certified in green roof installation. And then, you know, along the way, I was still getting bigger and bigger. You know, all this outdoor work really uh, created a big appetite. But we ultimately learned about food. I had no idea because, you know, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I couldn't tell you 10 kinds of vegetables. As we speak now in a walk up building in the middle of public housing, I'm growing 37 kinds of fresh fruits and vegetables and herbs indoors uh, with little kids who never even had access to them. So it's really been a remarkable transformation um, for me. You know, I talk about it in my book, The Power of a Plant, which uh, everyone should have a copy of. It's the only book in America that comes with a double your money back guarantee. So if you buy the book, 
and don't love the book, I'll buy it back for twice the price. Um, so go to the Green Bronx Machine website and please um, buy a copy of The Power of a Plant. It's a story you'll love. And it, it's literally, it became a number one bestseller. So go figure. And it's used by schools across the country. And it talks about, you know, the simple power of planting seeds and, wow. you know, of embracing nature and nurture. Well, radio is a perfect media for a story. And that was a very good story. And uh, really appreciate you telling that. Um, how has the mayor assisted you? And how have you assisted him in spreading the word about farming and eating a diet rich in fresh fruits and vegetables? Listen, this mayor walks the walk. He's not, you know, it's not like he's saying one thing and doing another when it comes to food and, and his commitment to public education. I'm proud to say that Mayor Adams has been to this classroom. He's dined with my kids. He actually taught them how to use chopsticks. But, you know, here's a guy who walks the walk and really understands it. And the one thing that I love about Mayor Adams is, you know, he's really committed to upstream solutions. You know, for far too long, we've looked at downstream solutions. You know, what can we do to alleviate or assuage the problem? And the bottom line is that, you know, food is the problem. And also food is the answer. You know, make no doubt about it. Food justice is racial justice. Who has access to what, where, when, and how determines everything. Now, fast forward it into communities like mine, where our diets are predetermined, A, uh, largely by corporate entities and single serve things that come in a can, you know, that are just bathed in fossil fuel. Let me be clear. Children will never be well read if they're not well fed. And continually feeding children crappy food really results in crappy outcomes for them in the community, while everyone else gets rich off the process. Um, so I'm of the humble belief that the most important school supply in the world is food. And, and, and let me be clear about that. The most important school supply in the world is food. You can't teach children who are eating chips and soda to be at optimal performance. You know, when you look at the rates of obesity, of, of heart disease, of all the anomalies that exist in this community, it is largely food-based. And then it becomes prescription-based. And then it becomes slavery reorganized. So I'm a big believer that food is the answer to everything. And of course, just the simple act of growing something in a community like mine that is largely, a, you know, bulletproof glass and plexiglass and, you know, buzzers and systems. It's built to condition kids to go to prison. The simple act of nurture of nature. You know, when we teach kids about nature, we teach them about nurture and we teach kids to nurture you know, we as a society collectively embrace our better nature. Do you know, Robert, as we speak, we have the most productive school garden per square foot in America outside in the middle of public housing. This is truly the Bronx Botanic Gardens here in the hood. You know, and I'm of the belief that hood food is good food and good food is hood food. And more importantly, in a community that's filled with immigrants and people from around the world, they really respect food. So it's not as if they don't want it. They just need access to it. And it, it's been a remarkable um, opportunity to build community with community in community and grow something greater. And the proof so is in the pudding. Stephen, you know, most people, maybe a lot of people would put their head down if they were in your position, count their days to retirement and uh, try to get through uh, their position as quick as possible. What drives you and gives you so much energy and motivation? Well, first of all, it's a diet, um, you know, but make no doubt about it. This work is in my DNA. 
look, I, I stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, you know, and my goal is, is, is not to be the, the champion, but the people's champion is to give birth to, you know, hundreds and thousands of teachers and, and community advocates like me so that people don't have to leave the Bronx to go somewhere greater. Um, you know, that they can stay here and build their own communities. You know, Superman is not coming. Now, there are a lot of large nonprofits and solutionaries who would love to sell us a problem, at a, sell us a solution at a price. Um, but I believe, really, the greatest liberation in the world is growing your own food and controlling your own destiny. And it's also just the process of moving from being a consumer to a producer. Um, you know, when you learn that you can grow something, that you can create something, that you can nurture something, that's a lot better than, you know, wondering, oh, what's the next sale in the bodega? What's the next pair of sneakers I need to get? You know, what's the next application I can download? So, so this notion of growing and producing is so much more important than, than just the actual process because it's so much larger. And of course, when you teach children about growing food, they start realizing that food doesn't come from aisle nine in the supermarket or from the food elves in the basement. It largely comes from communities and people who look just like them. And until we start paying them fairly and treating them decently and respecting the communities where it comes from, nothing will get better. No, it will not. So it's on us. Stephen, I have so many more questions to ask you, but I think we're going to have to have you back on the show. Maybe we'll get Mayor Adams also. And uh, really appreciate your energy. And as I said, you're a sincere man with a heart of gold. You're not uh, out there promoting yourself, but you're out there promoting the programs. So uh, thank you so much for letting me tell your story. No, thank you for having me. And to all the listeners, please, um, you know, don't waste me. Don't waste us and don't waste this moment. We are at a time here in this nation and in the evolutionary history of man um, where it, it, we're, at a, we're at a tipping point, but therein lies the opportunity. So please uh, partner with us, work with us, reach out to me, um, check out the website, connect with me on LinkedIn, and let's grow something greater together. Robert, I can't wait to see you again in person. And, um, you know, I, I welcome the opportunity to come back and be on the show whenever you are willing to have me. And if, when you're in the Bronx, come on up for the best salad you've ever grown and ever tasted, along that's with horrible kids who are excited to serve it to you. <laughs> that's a deal. And that's Stephen Ritz, founder of Green Bronx Machine, uniting hearts and minds in the Bronx. Green Sense is an independent radio show that relies on the general financial support of patrons like you to produce a high-quality audio broadcast like this. If you're interested in being a patron, visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to view the patron form. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and catch the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago.